Let's finish our Uncharted series in the book of Joshua talking about going where we've never gone before. Israel as a people has crossed over the Jordan River and now they are venturing into the promised land. They come to the very first city on the map to possess what is theirs. Verse number one, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho. I always have thought that's funny. They walk up to this city that is walled, protected, no way to penetrate it. It's got two sets of walls. And as they walk up and they see it, it looks like there is absolutely no way they're taking this city and making it theirs. And the first thing God says to him is, see, I've given it to you. God doesn't see things the way you see them. God's never going to look at Jericho through the lens in which you see it. He says, I've given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns. Those are shofars. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. So six days, every day you circle this city once. On the seventh day, you're going to go around it seven times. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Israel has journeyed by faith out of the wilderness. They have viewed the land of Canaan by sending spies over the river into the land of Jericho. And now two and a half million Jews by faith have crossed the Jordan River miraculously in the springtime at harvest. And here they sit in camp before the city of Jericho, the very first location on the map that God says to conquer. And now it all comes down to them claiming the land that they saw originally. It comes down to them claiming, claiming the very place that they believe God has promised to them. So I want you to listen to this transitional statement. It begins with Jericho as their next step for expanding their kingdom as God's people. It's very important you hear what I just said. This begins with Jericho as their next step for expanding their kingdom as God's people. My question to you is this, what is your Jericho? What is the next step that you must conquer? What is the next place in the timeline of your life that you must take over? What is the next thing that you are supposed to do, the next thing you're supposed to seize, the, the next thing you're supposed to possess? Let me give you a hint. Jericho is a place of personal inheritance and life territory that expands the current kingdom you are a part of. So the real question is this, what kingdom are you a part of? What kingdom are you expanding? When you move into new territory in your life, when you move into new places of your spirituality, when you take your walk with God to levels that you've never been there before, what kingdom are you expanding as you expand? Daniel 4.3, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Do you, knew, do you know who I'm talking about? John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at that undercover Pharisee there in the darkness of the night in John 3, and he said, Unless you're born again, 
You cannot see, you cannot sense, you cannot know, you cannot partake of, and you cannot experience the kingdom, the things, the spiritual domain and realm of God. It doesn't matter how long you've lived on this planet after your first birth. One first birth is never enough to experience, to know, to partake of, or to see the kingdom of God. But once you've been born a second time and you put your faith in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a transformation happens inside of your life and a transaction happens in heaven and the spirit of God comes to reside inside of your life and you become a saved soul. You become a saint of God. You become adopted into his family when you are born the second time. All of a sudden now you have the ability and the capacity to know, to partake of, to experience, to sense, and as Jesus said, to see the things of the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 Paul said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He said, you won't find my kingdom attached to a whole bunch of touchable, tangible things, but rather it's the abstract elements of my domain, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Luke 17, 21, neither shall they say lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say this this morning, unlike Israel in Joshua chapter 6, the kingdom that you and I are expanding is not a physical kingdom yet. Listen closely. I don't got time to go into this dispensational breakdown, but in the days of Jesus, he was, he, was, he was walking with men and he was in the earthly realms of Israel and there was an earthly kingdom that was coming. And then parenthetically, I believe dispensationally, God inserted the church age, the grace age. And now we are not an earthly people, but we are a heavenly people. That's why Paul said that we are not of this world. We are citizens of another country. He said of Abraham and concerning us, we are pilgrims that do not belong on on this planet. I wish I had a witness at 11 o'clock. This world does not belong to us and we do not belong to this world. And the Bible teaches and tells us that one of these days Jesus is going to take us out of here. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead and a catching away of the church. And when that happens, God's going to unpause the button and he's going to pick up with his prophetic program with Israel in the days of the tribulation and God's going to establish a kingdom that is touchable, that is tangible. And then Gentile and Jew will reign for a thousand years on this planet. We won't be living in Banks County or Jackson County. We'll be living over in Israel, reigning with Jesus for a thousand years in a physical, literal kingdom they believe was coming. Now, some scholars believe and argue that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are compatibly interchangeable and mean the same thing. And some scholars believe there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not going to get into that argument or debate right now because it doesn't matter regarding the point I'm making. The reality is Jesus said it and you and I know it that we are a part of a kingdom that is invisible, a spiritual domain, a spiritual realm. And we are a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is a part of us. So here's what I want to tell you. Jericho and promised land are pay are places in your life that you must possess because doing so contributes to the expansion of the kingdom of God. Wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. Whatever workplace gets you, the kingdom goes with you. Whatever house you build or buy, the kingdom goes with you. When your kids go into that school, the kingdom goes with them. When you walk the streets of your downtown, the kingdom goes with you. When you're walking in Walmart, the kingdom goes with you. When you're pumping gas at Quick Trip, the kingdom goes with you. When you walk on property, the kingdom goes with you. When you walk off the property, the kingdom goes with you. Do I got anybody that belongs to a kingdom that is not of this world? And the only reason you're a part of it is because you got born a second time. Many times, the sad reality is that we make Jericho about our kingdom and not his. Yes, Many times we make the next move in our career about building our own kingdom and not his. We make many of the connections and the levels of influence that we have with people and the relationships that God gave or granted us about our kingdom and not his kingdom. We make much of our money about building a kingdom that establishes our domain and not his domain. We take the talent and yes, there are things you did by way of experience 
things you were exposed to, ways you educated yourself to cultivate and enhance the talent that you have. But the reality is you're able to do some of the things you're able to do because God gave you that talent. Some of the things you do are a gift. It is an ability that God hardwired you with to do and produce the things you do. And sadly, many of us use our talent to build, expand our own kingdom and not his. We take even the church, yes, even the church, and we use it to establish and build our own kingdom and not his. I wrote this down. Jericho is not a notch on your belt. Jericho is not another personal gain. Jericho, rather, is you expanding into new territory that belongs to you within the things of God. Jericho is the places in your life that are just supposed to happen. Because when you take Jericho, that next thing, that next position, that next place, that next level, that next city before you, it expands the kingdom of God into more lives. Someone may ask, okay, well, what's our Jericho as a church? What's our Jericho as new grace? Well, that's obvious. It's actually a physical thing. It's a facility. That's our next Jericho. That's our next city to take. That's our, that's our next place. And that, that physical acquisition has spiritual results because with more room, with more capacity, we do more things to impact the kingdom of God in more and more lives. And I think about, for me, what's my Jericho? Well, I, you gotta think, I, my, my Jericho initially would be directly tied to new grace. I wanna see the growth and development of this church. I wanna see this continue. But, but look, I got more things. I got more cities that I wanna conquer too. That, and when I say cities, I ain't talking about, I'm talking about my Jerichos. I got more and more Jerichos that, that run parallel, that complement the work of new grace. But things that I want to see God do with me, things, land I believe God promised me when I was bouncing around the wilderness, things I believe God wants to use me for to expand his kingdom, not mine. I do. I wanna, I, I'm an evangelist trapped in a pastor's body. I don't preach like a pastor. I'm horrible at it. I can't do it. I'm an evangelist, I'm a revivalist, trapped in a pastor's world, living a pastor's life, and, and I, I, I wanna do this till I, till I check out of here by way of death of the rapture. I wanna do this until I'm done. But I also wanna travel and preach. I do. I wanna, I wanna go somewhere this week and, and, and speak to a body of believers and encourage them. That, that is a huge, that is my heartbeat. Go find my heart, it beats right there on encouraging the body of Christ as a whole. Not just a local assembly. I, I used to do that. Oh, God used to let me preach revivals and tent meetings and, and conferences. I want to do that again. I love helping people with the gospel. I love taking the scripture and building people up for the kingdom and for the body of Christ. I love it. I want to do that again. I want to do that again. That's a Jericho that hasn't been conquered yet. I want to write a book. I got a great one I want to write, but I woke up this morning. This is crazy. I'm talking about this. I woke up this morning with a thought about a book that's better than the original one I want to write. And those pages aren't pinning themselves. I haven't conquered that land yet. I haven't conquered. That's one of the next things for me. I, I, I want to I I find a way to, to, to have income where I'm not depending on the church. I, I know that, that I know that uh, about advisory council and my trustees probably never care to hear that. I know the staff would never care to hear that. I still want to be as involved as I am right now. But I, I, I don't want to be dependent on the church for an income. I'd rather take what I'm paid and give the other staff members what they're worth. Bump them all up to what they're worth. They're all working for peanuts anyway. Every one of them could go into the world right now and make way more than what they're making here. But they're sacrificing their livelihood to be a part of the ministry. And I applaud them for that. That's, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, Jump into the church to get rich, okay? You don't get in the ministry to make money. It's, it's a calling, and I applaud them for that. I, I have things in my mind I want to do where I'm not dependent on that. I have a, me and Ashley have a Jericho we want to see conquered for a legacy for our children. That they are the leadership of this church in the future. That your kids are the leadership of this church in the future. I have things regarding my marriage. I want, those are my Jerichos. Those are the next things when I cross my rivers of faith and I take those outlandish steps that I've taken as a pastor, as a husband, as a daddy. I got, I got towns I got I to gotta seize. I got land I got to claim. What's yours? You don't want to live in that house forever? You'd have a small group, but you don't like the house you live in. You don't want to work that position forever. 
You don't. You don't. You talk about it all the time. You don't pray about it, but you talk about it all the time. That's a Jericho you got to conquer. There are things in your life that God put in you that he didn't put nobody else in this room that he wants you to do for his glory. He wants you to do for his kingdom so that more and more people can experience new life in Christ and he wants to do it with you. God brought some of you to this church because you are a puzzle piece that was missing in the formula, the grand equation of this church. And there are things that you're gonna see in our community, in our city, and in this church and it's gonna frustrate you that that problem's not being solved. And the thing that frustrates you is usually an inclination of the problem God created you to solve because you are the one that's going to have to take the initiative and the interest in stepping up to the plate and doing something. You're waiting on us to create a team to do it. God, in, God instigated you to do it. You're waiting on a group to do it. God put it in you to do it. He gifted you to do it. He exposed you to the things you were exposed to so that it would prepare you and it would equip you and it would educate you so you could start solving those problems that you see unsolved. God did it for you and it's a big part of the big picture. That may be your next step. That may be your Jericho. Because when you expand into that land, you're expanding a kingdom. And in verse 5 tells us something interesting. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, and the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. So I want to preach on this thought very quickly, a world without walls. A world without walls, because Jericho represents the limitless possibilities that happen when you begin to explore a world without walls. And I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but God wants to free your mind into thinking in ways you never even thought possible. God wants to open your eyes into seeing in ways you never saw possible. God wants to penetrate your heart into believing in ways you never believed possible. And how do we get to a world without walls? Well, when you see that Jericho was closed, it tells us of the original setting in our story. Jericho was closed. Everybody say closed. closed. Verse 1 says Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. It had, it had two sets of walls. A very formidable opposition to conquer. The first wall was a retaining wall. And then about another 15, 14, 15 foot up stood a full 26 foot wall. There was a hill, and I told you about this hill. That's where, the, that's where people ended up living over time. Rahab lived on that outer wall. And then up that hill, there was another wall 26 feet up. So you, if you're standing right in front of the wall, you can't even see the second wall. If you're back off of several hundred feet, you can see the second wall. There's archers and people with spears. So it would be, it would be asinine to try to climb this wall or figure out some way into the city. You may get over one wall, you're not getting over the next one. It's closed. And so it's simply saying to you, there's no way in. And guess what? There was no way out. Nobody was making a midnight Taco Bell run from Jericho. You weren't leaving the city and ain't nobody getting in. And here's something God showed me. An enemy built a fortress and designed walls to keep God's people out of what was actually theirs. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. An enemy built a system of walls to keep the people of God out of what actually belonged to them. And may I submit to you this morning that Satan builds walls where God wants doors. Satan is building walls within the mind of believers. He's building walls in the head, building walls in the heart, and building walls in the home. Why? Because Satan is possessive over territory. Two things demons always want, temples and territory. And if you're saved, he can't get your temple. Oh my God, somebody better help me go to church right there. If you're saved, he can't get your temple. That's why he jumped in Judas and couldn't get in Peter. Peter had something Judas didn't have. That's why Jesus said, I'm praying for your faith. Oh God, that's a, mm, that's a nugget right there. 
Demons want temple. And when they can't get the temple, they'll take the territory, which means they'll take anything that's supposed to come to you, anything that's supposed to be yours. And Satan is building walls, walls to keep you out, walls to turn you away. Do you realize that taking Jericho is never going to be an easy thing? Taking Jericho isn't going to be something that just happens with you standing there. Taking Jericho isn't something that happens because somebody else is going to do it for you. Jericho is closed. It's closed. Me, me doing what I feel led to do with my life, it's closed. Our church getting this facility, it's closed. It's not going to happen if the devil has anything to do with it. If, if, if he can keep you separated from giving with walls of discouragement, walls of fear, walls of disbelief, walls of distrust, we're never going to see Jericho be claimed. It was closed. But if you notice, the scripture teaches that Jericho was circled. Everybody say circled. The Bible says that seven priests bearing seven trumpets. And then the, and the armed men circled the city for six days, one time each day. And on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times. Rather an interesting strategy. What was God doing? That didn't make any sense. I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be building a battering ram. I'd be, I'd be trying to construct some kind of bridge mechanism. I'd, I'd be trying to figure out some way to set the city on fire from the outside. I'd, I'd be coming up with something else. What, what are those things that... that, that, that I'd, be, I'd be making a catapult, you know, and just throwing crap in the city, you know, I, and God, 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 the designer of the plan says, walk around it. Just circle it. God says, draw a circle around what you want. Just, just be a circle maker. And show, circle what you believe belongs to you. Yeah. Now, before you go on the name it and claim it train, let me say this. God already said this is yours. God already said my kingdom belongs there. God already said this is part of the plan. Now, do what I say the way I say to do it. What was God implying? God was implying the power of special request. God was showing them how to circle the very things you believe God has planned for you. Did he not say through the apostle Paul to make your request known unto God? Why is it when we begin to ask, seek, and knock? Why is it when we begin to pray and make supplication? Why is it we begin to petition before God concerning formable territory that looks like there's no way in or no out? Why is it we're so broad and so general and so vague? Why are we specific when we pray? Why, why? Why, why when we're standing before Jericho, we're going, Lord, bless me. Bless me. Why don't you ask him to knock the wall down? Why don't you get specific? Lord, Lord, just bless me today. And you got like a specific need. Now, you ain't going to talk to God about it, but you're going to talk to a counsel about it. You ain't going to talk to God about it, but you're going to post about it. You ain't going to talk to God about it, but you're going to tell somebody else about it. And God's in heaven going, I ordain your prayers to orchestrate my will. Your words and your walk dictate the way I treat your Jericho. There's something about getting specific. And for some reason, we're just not specific. Maybe we think God doesn't care about the little details. Maybe we think God doesn't know about the little details. But how can an all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent God, knowing about the details, not be interested? When he said, cast all your care upon me, he said, if it matters to you, it matters to me. Your Jericho matters to God because it involves his kingdom. There was a young preacher that started a church in a town, and 
Little small town word traveled fast what God was doing. And this young preacher, man, he had God all over him. I'm talking people were getting saved every single service. They were having baptism ceremonies down in the river. And he had a spontaneous five-night revival. A hundred people gave their life to Christ during this little... I mean, about shut the town down, man. Word was all over every business, all over the streets of downtown, all over the school system of what God was doing. And this, this pastor, he held this long baptism ceremony on a Sunday afternoon, hundreds of people on the banks of the river, and he's baptizing people. And just a line of people in white robes, that old-timey, old brother, where art thou type revival. You know, everybody down there in the river, and they're walking down, and he went, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I bury you in baptism and raise you to walk in the of life and after he'd pull him out of the water he'd look at him and say did you find Jesus they'd say yes yes and he'd send him on their way I don't have time to go into how theologically inaccurate that is but regardless did you find Jesus yes yes and he's just baptizing these people and all of a sudden he notices along with much of the congregation the town drunk comes out of the woods stumbling down on the banks of the river sees all these people Adorned in white robes. He takes a vested interest in being a part of whatever ceremony has taken place. Y'all know how drunk people are. They love everybody. Right? They love everybody. They, 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 he, he come down there. He said, oh, praise the Lord. Ain't he good? Hallelujah. He just got right in line. Jumped right into the baptism line. Now, this has kind of frustrated the young preacher because he's heard about this gentleman and everybody knows about him. And he's watching this guy as he's baptizing. And sure enough, the line is moving in and the town drunk is moving closer and closer. And now he's ankle deep in the water waiting his turn, propped up on one of the deacons. <laughs> I love you, brother. I've said a lot of horrible things about you, but I just want you to know I took it all to the Lord this morning and I love you. <laughs> Y'all remember how that was, right? Yeah. And... And the preacher, he's, you know, did you find Jesus? Yeah, I was buried, baptized, raised, walking down. Did you find Jesus? And here comes the drunk, and it's his turn. The preacher's like, I hope this goes easy. I hope this is not confusing. I hope this is not a mess. And he lays his hands on him. The drunk's looking at him. Puts his hand, he puts it back, puts his hand, puts it back. He said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. The drunk comes up soaking wet. He says, did you find Jesus? And he said, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Pulls him up with a fake smile and says, did you find Jesus? He said, uh-uh. He's frustrated this time. Everybody else is getting impatient. He throws that drunk over the water. Sometimes you got to hold him under, make sure it takes, you know. He holds him under, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk into his life. He said, did you find Jesus? And that drunk said, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> he wasn't specific enough. Because there's power in being specific specific over a request. Are you hearing me this morning? God said, I want you to walk and circle this thing. And when you do it, I want you to do it by faith. Everybody say by faith. Everybody say by faith. Now we know according to Exodus chapter 14 that when God divided the Red Sea, that he did it with a strong east wind. God did it nonetheless, but he used a strong east wind to do it. And we know when he, when he clogged up the Jordan River 15 miles from the place where they crossed down at Zarethan at the city of Adam, we know that the river stood up like a wall, like a heap. And he could have used a landslide, geological elements of, of, of tectonic plates moving in laterally one to another in respective to that Jordan River Valley to make a landslide happen and block up that river. Maybe God used a strong east wind. Maybe God used a landslide. But did you know Hebrews 11.30 tells us that the Jericho walls fell by faith. 
We don't have any natural element that God incorporated in bringing a supernatural miracle. All we know is that when the walls fell, they fell by faith. Could it be that some of us in this room underestimate the power of the wrecking ball that we have in belief that if we believe that God can, that God will, that he started before, he can still do it again. Where are the soldiers and the priests and the people that can just walk by faith and march around the places of impossibility? Where's the faith? Walk by faith, Paul says. We don't walk by sight, says, ain't no way. Sight says this is crazy. Sight says you're crazy. Sight says 26 foot tall and then another tail and then 26 foot tall. No way. Faith. Faith says what he say. Faith says what he won't. Faith says his kingdom must go on. Faith says this belongs to us. Faith said this is our town. Them pagan Canaanites up in there, an enemy to our territory, don't want us to inhabit the promised land of our future. But the God said that this was our land, and if God said it's our land, we've got to walk by faith. Come on, Jeremy. Come on. Come on. Zach, come here. Kyle, come here. If y'all don't like being illustrations, don't sit in the front row. <laughs> Jesse, come here. Get in the line. I need a train. Quad CD DJs. Let's do it. Come on. Come on right here. God said, walk by faith. Walk by faith. And so what God designed is for us to live our life with order. When we're walking around our Jericho, when we're walking around something by way of petition and, may, and believing God for what God wants, what God says, what we believe God designed and desired, we walk by faith. Faith was designed to be the steam engine. Faith was designed to be the driving force that navigated us through this walk with Christ. And then you've got facts. Facts don't lie. Facts aren't gray. Facts are black and white. Facts don't change. Then you've got feelings. And feelings are just along for the ride on the emotional roller coaster of life. And then you've got fear. The naysayer in the back of the train. The critique, the hater that's a backseat driver in this thing called life. And a lot of times we get our walking order out of order. If you don't walk by faith and you walk by facts and you place emphasis on facts over faith, you'll never be a giver of your finances. You'll never take any risk. You'll never take any chances because facts examine spreadsheets and tells God what he can't do. Facts researches the history channel and tells God where he's wrong. Facts banks on the natural elements that are and the natural laws of this world to put God in a box, takes the creator of the universe and tells him what he can't do scientifically. Facts are facts. And then there's feelings. And if you ever, God forbid, get feelings in the front, everything will be a knee-jerk reaction. Everything will be spontaneous. Everything will be based on how I feel about it. And we don't, and the Bible says, walk by faith, not by sight. Feelings doesn't know anything about faith because feeling makes assessments and judgment calls and conclusions based on the way something looks. I'm preaching to somebody in this room right now. Feelings, feelings won't hang around church when they get their feelings hurt. Feelings won't hang around faith when it requires change. Feelings is in love with traditions. Feelings is in love with emotions. Is anybody here what I'm preaching? And then, and then, my God, if you ever get uh, fear, fear, if you ever get fear, you'll just derail from the track. You'll never make it nowhere. Fear locks the brakes down. 
Fear, fear doesn't understand the kingdom. Fear doesn't understand the church. Fear doesn't interpret the word. Fear doesn't believe him. Fear doesn't accept. Fear doesn't trust. Fear doesn't dare. Fear says we're not going nowhere. But if you can get the order when you walk by faith and you can learn how to put faith in the front, fear in the back, facts behind faith, feelings behind facts, and you just dadgum cut fear off and throw it off in the ditch somewhere. Because let me tell you what faith does. Faith says, I see the facts. See, you can't live or walk by faith without facts. You have to have the facts to be able to make a faith decision. Faith doesn't ignore facts. Faith doesn't act like facts are there. Facts are facts. But let me tell you what faith does. Faith will turn around and rebuke. No, rebuke. Rebuke facts and say, I hear what you're saying. I see what I'm reading. But the facts of that book say that God can, God did, and God will. And as long as God has the facts of his word and he's true, I believe anything is possible as long as I believe. You gotta treat faith a little bit better than that. Facts has its proper place in the train. And feeling just gets to be the little caboose. If feeling's in its proper place, feelings get to experience whatever facts and faith experience. And you're not led by feelings. Because led by feelings is, this marriage is harder than I thought it was. I'll trade them in for another one. I'll upgrade them like a phone. See, let me tell you what feelings does. Get, up, get over there. Let me tell you. Get over there. No, no, no. You stay right there. See, this is, this is perfect camouflage. See, I look like I'm living by faith, but I'm really living by feelings. Let me tell you what feelings will do. Feelings will make a decision and say it's faith. Ignore the facts. And feelings will, will leave somebody for something and confuse peace and relief. You don't have any peace about nothing. You just feel relieved. I've got peace that I'm no longer supposed to do this. I've got peace that I'm no longer supposed to work there. I've got peace that I'm no longer supposed to be with him. I've got peace that I'm no longer supposed to. I've got peace that I did the right thing. No, you just relieved because you bypass the elements of faith. Sometimes it takes more. I don't know who I'm preaching to. Sometimes it takes more faith to stay than it does to leave. Sometimes, sometimes it takes more faith to get you. Sometimes it takes more faith to keep walking when walls don't fall. So sometimes, sometimes, ladies, you got to walk around that man and wait on them walls to fall. You might have to walk a decade around that jackass. You might have to go to church by yourself. You might have to teach the kids about Jesus by yourself. You might have to give your 10%, let him keep his by yourself. You may have to just walk around walls until they fall. But if you can learn how to keep your trumpet in hand, you can keep your worship going while you're walking. Mm-hmm. And the key is not praising God when the walls fall because my Bible says they shouted before the walls ever fell. Sometimes you got to praise God before you see any bricks get loose. Sometimes you got to praise God before you hear the enemy knees knock. Sometimes you got to praise God and say, Jesus died for this city. God gave me this city and I'm walking by faith and I'm trusting God and I know that it cannot lie. Sometimes, sometimes we quit walking by faith on day seven and trip number six. We abandon ship, we leave the church, we eject from the relationship, we put our Bible on the coffee table or the bookshelf, 
we quit. We quit. Define quit. I used to get ticked off at myself. I used to get ticked off at the church. Not y'all. This was before y'all. I got ticked off at people. I was still immature enough to take stuff personal. Are y'all all right? It don't matter. Just stay right there. I get frustrated because I saw it. Nobody else saw it. I see wall, I mean walls and I'm going, we're supposed to do it. I look back and everybody's going, go. Do it. Let us know how it turns out for you. I'm like, y'all ain't going to give? Y'all ain't going to do this? Y'all ain't going to try? Y'all ain't going to step up? Y'all ain't going to come early? What the heck? I get fr- I'm walking by myself sometimes. And it's easy to feel something and listen to it. It's easy to look at facts and data and information and forget about you and start living with you. Let you lead the way. Sometimes I have to just say, it's not my job how these walls fall. It's not my job to make them fall. God never let them touch the wall. He just walked and walked and walked. And they used to say things like, I just want to quit. What, what does that mean? Quit what? You know what that really meant? Quit being your pastor. Go be a normal guy. Go make more money. Have less stress. And not think about this place or any of you on Friday night. That's what that meant. Quit. But I changed the definition of quit. Now quit to me means I am dead. My own, quit for me looks like I'm no longer here. So I don't have the option to quit. I don't have the option to quit on her. I don't have the option to quit on me. I don't have the option to quit on my four babies. I don't have the option to quit on you. I don't have the option to quit on Jericho. I don't have the option to quit on God. Because until I'm dead and six foot under, I'm gonna keep walking, keep marching, keep trusting, keep believing, because one day walls will fall. Don't quit on six. Have a seat. Walk till it falls. Jericho was closed. Jericho was circled. Walk around it. Do you know what that means? That means their energy was expit. Their energy. What's the word I'm looking for? Their energy. (laughs) Tell me, Holy Ghost. Their energy was spent on the very thing they were waiting for. That's it, did you hear that? Their energy was spent not walking away, but walking around it. Jericho was closed, Jericho was circled, Jericho was claimed, says claimed. The Bible says when the walls fell, the people took the city. Look Look at it, it says it right there, verse 16. The Lord gave them the city. They took the city. God is all about reclaiming what Adam and Eve lost. That's deep. Can y'all drop your swimmies for a second and go with me? Can we drop a swim? Deflate. Let's go. Let's, let's, Let's snorkel. Heck, I might scuba dive with some of y'all. What did he give Adam? Dominion. What did Adam lose? Dominion. Now, Adam didn't lose dominion with dogs and cattle and fowl and fish. He lost dominion with a thing called sin. That's why in the covenant we have with Christ, Paul commissioned us to never let sin have dominion over you. With Jesus, now we can reclaim all the territory that was supposed to be ours to begin with. This is about God reclaiming dominion upon the earth with his people. And the Bible says that they took the city. Commerce has belonged to the kingdom of darkness long enough. I've seen my fair share of homeless cardboard signs. I've seen my share of addicts in this parking lot waiting on the doors to open to that place. 
I've seen my fair share of broken homes and I can walk and drive the downtown streets. I can go through home and I can see good old fashioned religion sending people to hell by the droves. The devil has owned this area long enough and God is looking to reclaim this territory in Jesus' name by finding a group of people bold enough to walk around the walls until they fall and take the city back. And I want to go ahead and declare on all the demons of hell that commerce no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the church of the living God and it's a place and it will be a place where the demographics will change, where the addicts will sober up, where the broken homes will be repaired, where the lost people People will be found. It is going to change. We're going to take the city back and claim Jericho as a church. And in doing so, it's going to empower each and every one of us to claim our own Jericho. It don't belong to New Grace. It belongs to the church. Y'all hear me? It belongs to the church. I got baited this week. I had a pastor try to bait me. He sent me a text message. He said, y'all know Southside Church in Jefferson? He sent me a text. He said, Southside's got a billboard next to your church. I mean, the first, the first problem with that text message, he called it my church. The second problem is he wanted a reaction out of me. And he said, I heard they're putting a campus in commerce. And I said, I hope they kill it. I said, I hope they blow up because the last time I checked, there was enough lost souls for all of us. What the heck is wrong with the church where we feel like we are competing with one another? to reach people going to a crisis eternity. And how creative is God to design Southside Church to be what we are not and for us to be what they are not. Do you realize this church is not for everybody? Some of you made your mind up this morning that it wasn't for you. You think everybody that walks in here is like, "This, this is the best place on earth and that is the best preacher and that's the best. No! There are people that walk in here and the moment Jake starts hollering in the worship segment people are like, heck no to the now, now, now heck no And there are people that go to Southside and the Grove and Maysville and Commerce Community and True Life and Jefferson Church and all the ones that you and I are thinking about and go, this isn't for me. And that's how you got here. But we're not in company. Like this city needs Jesus so bad. If there was a church on every block, it still wouldn't be enough of us to reach all of them. Look, here's the bottom line. When they claim the city, verse, is it 20 or 25? Where's it? I gave it, whichever one it is, I gave it to you. I'm not, I don't got my notes in front of me. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot, and her father's household and all that she had. Look at this, when those walls fell, and they claimed Jericho, the byproduct was somebody experiencing new life. <laughs> that old hoochie mommy on the outside wall that nobody else wanted, that nobody else accepted, that nobody else had time. That, wo- that woman as an outcast on the outer crust of their city that everybody else snubbed the nose at. Joshua said, that's the reason we're taking this city so we can save that girl, her daddy, her mama, her brothers, her sisters, so her home can be saved, so her life can be changed. Let's get her off the street and put her in the family. The big picture, the bottom line, is by claiming Jericho, we bring the kingdom to Rahab. 
And then Rahab plays a part in the kingdom and ends up in the lineage of Jesus, Matthew chapter one. Don't have time for all that. Reality is you're here, Rahab, because you're Rahab pastor. Somebody claimed to Jericho and knocked walls down. And that made a way to reach this sinner's heart. And so this Rahab, who jumped into the family, launched a church in a movie theater, and we knocked some walls out and came over here and occupied 20,000 square feet so a Rahab like you could end up in a place like this, and you can meet the Jesus I'm preaching about. It's not about your kingdom, it's about His. And you only expand his kingdom and meet, meet Rahab's on the wall when you live in a world without walls. I know it's closed. $47,000. You want the facts? We can make the owners fall out of their office chair laughing with $47,000. That's facts. Faith says, I don't know if a millionaire is going to do it. I don't know if a country singer is going to do it. I don't know if a doctor is going to do it. I don't know if we're going to do it. But you better figure that out. Because we're going to walk and God forbid we stop on trip six. And when those walls fall, one step closer to taking this city back for the authority and domain of God. Now that's our collective endeavor. No doubt about it. It's where we're at as a church. Flip that script. What about you? What's your Jericho? Mine's my personal ministry. It's my marriage. It's my kids. And it's got specific things that I'm asking for, that I'm seeking God for. And I believe if I can claim that Jericho, I believe it expands his kingdom, not mine, his kingdom. And there are things I don't want to do because I'm scared to do it. Because I got, I got Jesse Fountain leading the way. Fear. I got fear leading the way. And I got to put him in his place and let Kyle Gillespie, my faith, call the shots. Because if I let faith call the shots, I'll keep walking around the walls. So don't quit on six. Keep walking until you start living in a world without walls. I'm going to ask you to stand.